Comedy Zone podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. From Charlotte, North Carolina, this is the Comedy Zone podcast. Find us on Twitter at the CZ Podcast. Email us at ComedyZonePodcast at gmail.com. Now, your host, Will Jacobs and Jason Allen Key. Welcome to the Comedy Zone Podcast. People, I'm going to cut right to the chase. <laughs> we've had Bob Saget. We've had Craig Robinson. We've had the dude in the dragon suit. Who's that? Piff? And his dog. And his dog. But this, I would say, is our biggest get in the history of this podcast. Would you all agree with this? I'm 100%. We would all agree with this. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only owner of the Comedy Zone himself, the Vince McMahon of Charlotte (laughs) Comedy, Brian Heffron, more affectionately known as Heff. Give it up. Heff is in the building. Welcome, sir. Heff is in the building. Thanks, fellas. (laughs) We've been working on this a, a, a long time. Mm-hmm. What what made you finally <laughs> decide to come on with us? Well, you came to my office and in a good lawyer way. <laughs> <laughs> you made your argument, and I panicked, and the judge slammed the gavel down, and I'm here. Well, you know what, Hef? Yeah. Uh, that makes me feel a lot better about the 140000 I took out of student loans That's to right. tell jokes. <laughs> Thank you. At least it came to some good. So uh, let's, uh, let's part, for those that don't know Hef, because he's not the most in front of the scene camera guy. That's fair. Right? He's more behind the scenes, literally running everything. So just for background, like where you're from, I know, you know, New York, and just kind of, you know, y- y- where you're from and all that good stuff. I'm from Rochester, New York. Which is uh, upstate, almost on the Canadian border. A lot of fishing and hunting. Beautiful place. A little cold, but I uh, I, have, I have fond memories and fond. And to this day, some of my closest friends and family are still there. So I'm Rochester guy through and through. Always will be. Went to the University of Dayton and graduated in '89. And then there's a bunch of blurry years, and here <laughs> I'm sitting here right now. <laughs> You well, get back? You get back up there much? I do. I go fishing with the fellas up in Canada in July, Very and nice. then well, there's um there's I grew up in uh, wine country, mm-hmm. a lot of grapes. It's real cold weather, so they have harvest parties in the fall. So all of my oh, wow. friends up there will have, bar- you know, barn and the kids and the covered dishes, just like you, just like you see in a, like a in one of those upstate magazines with all the. F- Colors oh, yeah, and yeah. the grapes. And <laughs> it's great. All of that I don't drink it. wine, but I love grape pie. All right. <laughs> now, mind you, have these fishing trips up to New York. I've talked to him about these. And I go, hey, man, I could come too. And he always, like, he goes, yeah, you should go one day. He just sidesteps it real <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah. So, you know, these are very fun, exclusive <laughs> trips. Yeah, it's a bunch fish. of old, you know, believe it or not, it's the same group for like 40 years. Damn. Yeah, we were going up with our fathers. Oh wow! And then, yep, and we've got pictures of myself and some of my best friends sitting on the same rock as a fourteen-year-old and as a fifty-year-old. Damn! And it's 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 really special. But no, anybody's welcome up there. It's just can you can you handle (laughs) thirteen to fifteen complete idiots for three days? I, I do that most days. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say. My office I just, is full of I, idiots. I think I just walked right into yeah, that. Yeah, I, I do that every day. Half. I'll see you at the next trip. So, uh, well, how did you get uh, started with comedy? What was your, you know, your business, your trade before that? Right out of college, uh, this is what I did, pretty much. Really? Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that so either. I started a small software company when, when I moved to Charlotte. I moved to Charlotte because of the weather with Len. I don't know if you guys knew that. Yeah, I didn't know. You started I didn't know a that. software company. Yep, and uh-huh. it was a long time ago, but back when the day when do you guys remember macros? So macros was a way for you to create your own software, and it was the beginner's beginner's guide to whatever. So myself and another guy fiddled around with some software that was voice recognition, and we tried to sell it to doctors and lawyers for dictation. Oh wow! And this is the first. Hair blowback for me right, right now. Right. Like learning something We've new about how. Yeah, so. Wow! <laughs> digital, okay. an, digital analog communication systems. That's so. when I see you. That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the shorts and the band bandana screams. I mean, at the time, it was I knew I wanted to work for myself, so that was the first opportunity to come along, and I got my 
butt kicked in by every salesperson from Lanier. Remember Lanier and Dictaphone back then? Yeah, yeah. So the lawyers and the, yeah, the first dick joke of the night. And, <laughs> and we get... we get. I remember all the dick. Shouts out to Sammy. <laughs> the bottom line is lawyers and doctors need to do a lot of dictation. Yeah. They used to do it with pedals on the floor and small micro cassettes. This was converting it to voice recognition. The program sucked. Right. But, you know, it was ours, and we believed in it. We got one account. Mm-hmm. And that was Thorlow Socks up in Statesville. Mm. Wow. And all their lawyers bought our product, but they didn't buy it. They traded it for socks. What? So I have to this day a all bunch right. of floor Thorlow socks. <laughs> and that didn't last long. So businessman through and through, half. I'm I not gonna lie. This ah! is I called on a company. <laughs> I called on a company called Creative Talent on Monroe Road. And they were the comedy zone. Oh, wow. And they were, I tried to get to the owner to sell him my shitty software. Wow, all right. And he, he wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that was, began your foray into comedy? From a business standpoint, yes. But I will tell you that in high school, college, and, and even middle school, I was, I was and is the biggest stand-up comedy fan I was the kid on the floor listening to the albums. Gotcha. Prior, Cosby was a really big one. Carlin was a huge one. I was going to ask you, who were your guys, your gals growing up that you loved? Those cats. Yeah, Jonathan Winters, and maybe not so much from stand-up, but just from pure. I'm just desperately in love with Steve Martin. Um, yeah. You know, I love music, as you guys know. It's sure, a huge yeah. part of my life, but my true love was comedy all along. So when I called on creative talent, I remember looking around and seeing people that weren't dressed in suits and they were just kind of doing their thing. And I was like, what is this? Mm-hmm. This is at a different time. There wasn't a comedy club on every corner. Yeah, right. So I wrote letters to that guy for about six months saying I'll empty the trash, five bucks an hour. He brought me in and said, why are you bothering me? You just graduated from a private university. What do you want with this? And I just, just give me a chance to do something. And I know that sounds very trite of a story. I was too dumb to realize that you can't just do whatever you want in the world. Mm. So I <laughs> bullied my way in and started booking um, group sales at the club on Independence. Who, who were some of the early comics you... Oh, I'm, I mean, on a regular week-to-week basis, it was Seinfeld, um, Romano, wow. Dennis Miller, Chris Rock was was with me the night now were, did you know i mean these were the guys at the time or were you in this was in the process of, of process. them becoming yeah. the guys R- romano's show was was on the air but nobody was watching it so we had half full houses wow, oh, wow. i think we missed something chris rock was there the night he met his wife yes. right yeah. right that could please expand on that how did that ha- like did he talk Just, to y'all or what yeah well chris and chris was like you guys i mean he was going he was a guy at the club yeah you got to understand, man, in the 90s, it wasn't all about all these names. It just wasn't. We were, first of all, when you came to perform at our club, it was on Independence, if you guys, anybody remembers that, that's ancient history, but it was on Independence from 89 to 99. We went Tuesday through Sunday. That's what you worked. Whether you were Will Jacobs or Jason Allen King, you worked Tuesday through yeah, Sunday. From the top so to the bottom. Top whoever. to the yeah. bottom. And you got paid people to pay money on. Tuesdays and Wednesdays back then. Yeah, wow. So Damn. you could get paid. Could some, make a real you living. could make a real living. Yeah. You really could. And, and all the rooms that were, were that way. They the were, demand was there is also what you're saying. Well, it was the first time. Man, I'm really dating myself, but <laughs> cable TV. <laughs> <laughs> it's the evening at the improv in the 80s. And we took our eight tracks and we were listening to Bob Hope. Cable TV had turned people into fans of comedy in the late 80s because of comedy on the road, A&E, mm-hmm. evening at the improv. So it was the first time, other than the Carson show, that you could see stand-up. And Carson was still the main driver because when we watched Carson, when I was working in this industry, if the comedian did a good job, this is, this is a true story if I, I could ever tell, as soon as he was done, we all started faxing offers for that comedian wow. because his career changed at that very minute. And, wow. and, and it was just a mad rush to get him on your books. Damn. 
Now, it wasn't like the big celebrities we're talking about now. It just, the, you know, two-thirds of the country was watching the same show. So you got to kind of take out this whole internet. Yeah. It's two-thirds. That's, that's the only outlet you had. So then here comes Evening at the Improv and um, Comedy on the Road, which we did film in an independence. And so comedy clubs started to happen, you know? Wow. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, that's so then what are, the, what are some of the major changes you've seen just, <laughs> just in comedy from then till now, which is, must seem like a different world from It that. does. And, I, and you and I, and, and Jason, we've talked about this off mic, but it's, you know, I'm finding my way through these changes, and they're seismic. Um, but I also think in the beginning I may have had a position of what the hell is going on and I thought a lot about it today because I knew I'd be asked this question, and I think it's been a great thing looking mm-hmm. back on it. You know, I know I may have given you a different indication, but the reality is why shouldn't everybody have a shot at this? Mm-hmm. Like, who am I to say, well, when we used to do it, there was one place you get famous and you just didn't. Well, that probably means there were a lot of people that never got famous that might have deserved it. Mm. And so I've changed my mind on that stance, and I mm-hmm. feel like, yes, we are watered down. Yes, there's too much, but why not? Like, I can't answer the question, why not? It, it, yeah, is, that, is that any worse than kind of there only being one angle is what you're saying? You're exactly right. It's not a matter of worse. I'm going to take that off the table. And Jason and I have had some long talks about it, and I think I was ranting and raving about, in my day, you had to be great. And you, <laughs> know, and you know what? Sense. You did. You had to be the best of the best to get a big booking. But that doesn't mean it's worse. I mean, it's that it's worse now. It doesn't mean that, you know, there's probably people getting picked up and being seen by a lot of people on the Internet who are very talented that probably never would have gotten a chance. They wouldn't have, it wouldn't have tried it. Because if you were a comic in the 90s, you're all in, man. I mean, that's it. You could be kind of like an Internet guy and do work, work out all over town five, six nights a week now. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any open micers in this town. Wow, it was my it was my stage. That's it. I, it's it's different. I, like you said, you could you could make a living. And now, like I remember, this experience struck me. One of the headliners that I kind of came up in comedy after, and he gave me some of my early opportunities. Uh, I was at work one day, <clears throat> and in my mind, all the headliners were, you know, good to go. They didn't do other stuff. You know, right, yeah. like when football players used to like run a bread truck and then play <laughs> games. Like I didn't think that. You know, that was the, but one day I'm at the office and I see him getting off the elevator and he was delivering sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Wow. He was delivering sandwiches. And then I started to find out how, how many are, you know, driving or doing whatever they can to kind of support this comedy piece. Mm-hmm. And it just was a stark reality check. Like you, you still got bills to pay and it can't mm-hmm. be all the dream. Mm-hmm. No, it, you're exactly right. The pool of comedians was very small for a long time until the internet took over. And when I say the internet took over, it was really in the advent of the, the handheld devices when it really took over. So we nobody knew what to do with it when the internet happened. There was Dane Cook, kind mm. of figured it out. Oh, yeah, he did. All right, mm. he was the first one. Him and Cindy Margolis, you know, they were the kind of those <laughs> groundbreaking humans that figured it out from a marketing standpoint. But when this hit, when the, when the handheld device hit, everything changed. And so I stand before you going, we, and I mean us because we're on the same team and we're of the same generation, we are, will be looked back on the, as the creators, the pioneers. We will be the people that will tell the stories of, do you know that this happened when we were starting out when the internet? Yeah. And they would go, are you crazy? Right. It was really <laughs> like that? And you go, yes, it was. <laughs> but, look, but, but back to your point about why shouldn't everybody have an opportunity? Like this reminds me of this story Dan- Stormy Daniels thing recently where she was booked to headline a club and comedians had a big problem with that. Yeah, right. And it was like she's taking work from veteran comics that have earned their stripes. And I think that it's weird because I can see kind of some of both sides of it sure. to where I can too. Like it but it it to me though, do you feel that as an owner of a comedy club, you are one of the people that decides what the general public sees? Yes. Right. So since you're sort of the arbiter of that, does some responsibility fall upon you to protect the art form and to protect the craft? 
Well, you got to define protect the craft. Protect the craft by not putting bullshit on stage. Well, you got to define bullshit, though. Bullshit is the internet guy that guy or gal that we know doesn't have 10 seconds of stage presence but can fill the house. Well, let me ask you a question. If the 400 people that come to see that person have the time of their life and they, are, they feel like their money is well spent as an entertainment option then do you call that bullshit? I mean, at that point, you could just have strippers and punk. Why even have a comedy club if you're just going to put anything up there? Well, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying it's, Some of this it's is tough, anything. To me, tough to me to sit and say what is entertainment on every single level. I, I, it's tough for me to say that's entertainment and that isn't entertainment. As long as the customer is happy. As a businessman, that's where I gotta be. But you're so, but you're so comfortable telling comics when they're good and when they're not. What's good no, no, and no, what's no, not, not. What's not true good or not? Not good or bad. Where they, where they, where they need to move. What's, but what's bullshit and what's not? Right? Like, you, like I've seen you tell comics before that it's old, it's hacky, it's bullshit. Like you, you, you understand the craftsmanship and you have an appreciation for it. So there's no part of you that cringes a little bit when these people get on your stage taking their clothes off and just cussing at women and saying, I want to stick you in the booty or something. Like, there's no party that cringes a little bit. Yeah, there is, sure, for sure. But, I mean, out of 100, 120 acts a year, I don't think we got to play that game too many times. And there's no way I could sit here and say that I, I'm the arbiter of what is and what isn't. A lot of this stuff, I say, the agent comes to me and says, hey, these are guys that do this, this, and this. They're going to be on a 40-city tour. Do you want to put it on a Tuesday? And I'll just say, sure. Hmm. All right? Is that responsibility on me to go vet them out and make sure that they're high quality? Probably. Do I do it? No. Um, because I'm focused in on the other 120 dates or 120 acts that I got to put in here. And I think you'd agree that Thursday through Sunday oh, yeah. is the best in the country. Yeah. I definitely see them coming through. And, you know, I mean, to your point, yeah, I mean, I think all three of us have talked about it off mic about the wrestling in my head that goes on and do I take advantage of that financial situation over something that's not going to put 20 people in the room that night. Damn, It's right. a wrestle man. And other than a half a dozen times a year, I'm pretty proud of what, yeah, I don't, I don't cringe in any of the rest. So do you think then that these complaints by veteran comedians are a little overblown that, that really, these folks are not taking that much work from veterans. Oh, they're comics. certainly not taking. You know, if you're a, if you're a great comic, you're gonna, your phone's going to ring. I mean, that's kind of how the business works. It always has. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know that somebody like Sean Jones is not doesn't lack any work. <laughs> all right, yeah. we all pray every year that he goes to the next level, and we all hope he does. And he's a dear friend, but. That dude's phone rings because he's a monster. He is a monster. He's a killer. No doubt have we had him on the podcast? We have not. Brian, this is yeah. a bad job by you. How come you haven't reached out to Sean Jones? When was when he doesn't I sell enough tickets. <laughs> <laughs> at this at this, at this point, Hef, we'll take anybody. We don't get any celebrity guests anymore. I don't know what happened. No, I'm gonna just tell you, Hef. But we had we used to get Bob Sa everybody Bob Sager, Craig Robinson, yeah. who else? Who was everybody? Oh, was that, uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert yeah, Gottfried, legend. I have a part of my contract. What's that? That they got to do this. Well, they don't. Well, have and they are in breach of. You've had about fifty-two straight comics being breach of contract because we are not getting people. No, no, no. I'm aware of everything that's going on. Uh, it's literally the first thing they're scratching off now. Why? I think everybody's doing it. I think when you guys first started, it was something cool. It was a. It was a. A tool that you could convince most people. I struggle to get them on the air. I mean, they don't want to. I'm not going to sit here and group people, but we have a lot of trouble putting people on the air because they don't want to do it. On the radio, you're talking about those media and, runs and TV. Yeah. Believe it or not, I just had a conversation yesterday where I was told TV and radio don't work anymore. We're not doing that. So that part, and coming back to what you ask, is a big thing that's changing. So when we get down to podcast. It's becoming a tougher and tougher sell because it is not a tool directly in their eyes to sell tickets that they're all on percentage deals. Do they so, offer an alternative to not, to just saying no to everything? Do they come up with anything else that says we're going to help bring people into this place other than my name? 
Isn't there a certain obligation that they have to meet some yeah. of the, No. Because they're just selling. And then if they end up short in any way, they go, you suck as a marketer. <laughs> well, 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 that's a good transition. Speaking of you sucking, okay, <laughs> there are some we've talked about in your estimation misperceived, misperceptions that about you. Now, about you know me? there's a lot of chatter about you. There is. Not I, just in Charlotte. Nationally, and I guess some of it comes with your position, right? Uh, I guess. Some of it comes with it. <laughs> but how do you address this stuff? Like when comics say things like Hef is... Go ahead and say it. That Hef is racist. Let's start with that one. I, I wouldn't even address that. Not, not in a second. And I'm, I'm, uh, people that know, my friends and family know. Sure. Me too. Okay, so not a... Uh, what about that his booking is racist? Oh, I mean, that's ridiculous. So you don't go black, white, black in your lineups? What is black, white, black? You don't want, like, you wouldn't want... Two black comedians in a row, or two. Do you ever do you ever consider oh, the, those kind oh, of things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, but that's that goes across the board. I mean, variety, variety, song, song, dirty, dirty, dry, dry. There's a lot of things we don't put together, but we put black people together on shows a lot all the time. If, we have, we not, have to, it we shows have to, that are not urban shows. We have to consider the show. I don't book. I don't book straight up urban shows outside of the celebrities. So you think all of that is just total hogwash? Well, I don't know what all of it is. It's it's really hard to say. The one thing I really well, the minute you start keep, saying there's keep, a racial preference for shows, I mean that 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 is. No, no, but no, no. It, we just try to put the best show that's possible for the people that are available. It's a daily routine of ours. We're driven a lot by our clients, so we got to find out exactly what they want for time period is important. You guys know that. You get around spring break in certain areas of the country, you book it different. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, during the winter is booked different than Alabama during football season. And that's really where our conversations lie on a daily basis, is trying to crack the code of who is the most available demographic. You know, there's certain times of the year when everybody under 30 is doing something over here, old people, then you got people out of school, in school, and that's our main conversation. Well, but there are there times where you go, this comedian is a little too urban to do my room? Oh, sure. And you don't think that that's at all? No. Well, okay. E well, then, okay, even if you wouldn't call it racist, it would at least be culturist. Cultural. Like, sure. you're saying that if you come from a certain background and you speak a certain way, there's no place for you on my stage? No, no, in, in, in situations. Okay. I book situations. So specific nights you are crafting. No, 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 not nights. You're misinterpreting. In certain situations, every situation d determines there's a need by the client for a certain type of act. Uh. Could be dirty, could be clean. It really doesn't go by, you know, I mean, an urban act, a like a real urban act is not going to do a white funeral, I mean, white uh, old folks home. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah. And that's really as far as it take it is you book the situation. Do you ever have some of your <coughs> celebrity comedians come in and say, I want a white guy, I want a black guy, I want a white girl, I want a black girl? Whatever. I think we've had a couple, yeah. I mean, I think famously there's one that comes to mind. And I had one show I believe I was supposed to be on, and they said we want a white guy, and it was a black comic. And yeah. I was like, I was blown away you know, by I that. I think that's the guy we're all talking about. I mean, look, you know, it's, it's tough to say, like, let's call one situation and say that this is a institutional problem but you're right yes that certainly has happened is it something that i deal with once a year maybe mm -hmm. is it something i deal with every week absolutely not mm -hmm. most of them are carrying their own support anyway mm -hmm. i mean if not 99 percent now yeah right i've seen it a lot more. you know what i used to book all the features for all the big acts all right there was no such thing as bringing features mm -hmm. and over the years I've, I, this is my own hypothesis by the way i'm not projecting this out as some industry blah 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 but over the years i found that my job was to put the best comic on stage and that always wasn't the thing that they wanted does that make sense it does they want a cupcake in front of them yeah all right yeah. and that's nothing against the people that they're bringing now because i'm not you know i'm busy blah 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 i'm not sitting down studying everybody but as we transitioned from it was never in the contract that they're bringing somebody mm -hmm. we, we booked it we booked it with people around that were the best in the area. And you guys get your fair share of it, but, you know, it's not – I can't call you every week like I used to. Mm -hmm. It's about not being shown up. 
All right, that could be come from an energy standpoint. It might not, because there was a guy that was Britain, and I don't even know if he works anymore, but I'll never forget that because I had to get rid of him. But he was just ball of energy. Hmm. And the headliner, I don't want to follow that kind of energy. The, the room got set up wrong. Or you got a guy that's, and, and you guys as headliners understand this now. If, a, if the guy in front of you starts asking questions or getting the crowd involved, yeah. Does that, as, a, as an artist, does that put you in a position where you're like, I don't want to go up there and start a conversation with the crowd? <laughs> well, sometimes it's helpful to have a little background info on people to have something to play with, if you're that kind of comic. If you're that type of comic. And I found over the years that they're custom booking their own support to be, to be perfect with their show every night in, night out. They know what they're going to get. Do you, do you uh, find yourself judging those headliners who say, I don't want to follow energy? Do you find is that a, would you say that's a would you criticize them for no, that? No, absolutely no, absolutely not. No, I'm not. I'm not here to judge. I didn't get in this business to judge yeah. anybody's behavior. It's not. I have this instinct in me to say, "What do you mean you can't? What do you mean you can't follow? You should be able. You're a headliner. You follow any. You can follow anybody. Like where's that confidence? That's that's kind of. But the, what and I the was funny thing is, of. that's what you always told me coming through this. That as a headliner, you got to be able to go in and no matter what, deliver. Yeah. Now you got guys saying I'm scared of Will Jacobs. Well, yeah. we, we, well they have yeah, said that. <laughs> in fairness, let's let everyone I mean, let's take a minute and that has know, acknowledge that this is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question, man. I want to give, give I want to give you the the honest response. Take your time, please. If it's somebody that filled the house and they're there to see that comedy, I want to make them, I want to accommodate their wishes, okay? And if their 400 fans are in there to see them do mellow material, even though it may kill, Stephen Wright or whatever, I think it's their prerogative to ask me to put the artist in front of them that gives them the best chance to present that work. I certainly believe the show and it's, the show as a whole has got to be taken into consideration. I mean, I I, I certainly get that. Mm-hmm. You know, you want the best show, right? Um, I just think I'm I'm thinking more like on a personal level. Do you kind of is there ever just like a little eye roll where you're just like, oh, geez? Well, let's okay. let's back up on this. Are you talking about? Because I believe there's two two types of people who finish a show. There's a headliner and there's a closer. Mm. They do the same mm-hmm. amount of time, but they're two different people. Okay. You can't use the word headliner until you sell tickets. Right. You're sure. a closer. Mm-hmm. And neither of them are designate a level of talent. It's just two different positions from a marketing standpoint. So if you are a closer and you're going to one of my clubs that doesn't sell quote-unquote names, yes, you should be able to handle anything that comes in front of you. Okay? Yeah, right. If you call me, and say, I can handle this, but I would make my life easier, and I think it would make a better show if you didn't put the guy who literally drops his pants to a thong (laughs) right before I get on stage. (laughs) Then I would accommodate you because you're the closer, and it's your show, all right? Every time you close a room for me, that's your show, 100%. It's your prerogative on how you want that show run. It's in my best interest to make you comfortable, right? It's my best interest for you to put your best foot forward. It's my best interest not to impede or give you something in your head that you that will affect you. So when sure. it's put that way, yeah, you should be able to handle it. But it's your prerogative to, to request that. It's your show. Mm. I mean, I guess that's, that's, that's an interesting... I, I, but I'm with you. I would it's think th- it's it a would... a thoughtful answer, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know if I was at... If I, as a headliner, was... Like afraid of the person in front of me, it would be it would be a little weird, but a part of me gets it because when you get a certain age, man, it's like you don't always feel like revving it up as much as you love the stage. <laughs> there's just times where it's like I do not feel like having to yeah. be on the moon with this, and it's also well, something nice to be challenged. I think, too. yeah, and also it's such a delicate art form, and that's why I love it so much. I love, I tell my wife, Tam, all the time, I'm like, I just love the delicate, it's so delicate. Like, you can be on top of the world, and it can all go bad, material-wise. You know, if, if Will Jacobs is c- closing the room, there's a lot of different things other than energy that you may call me and go, I don't want this in front of me. 
Yeah. All right? For sure. And, and, and you have the – it's your right to say that because all we need to think about is stop thinking about ourselves and we need to think about the customer. That's the only thing that matters. So if yeah. you say – these customers are going to get the best show possible if you do this in front of me. I'm going to do it. Like, mm. there's no doubt about it. Because without them, none of this exists. We tend to always put ourselves, like, so important in this, in this equation. As the artist, the t- yeah, that's yeah. the tendency. And also, I think, it. suggests why there's not a lot of hosting the, uh, these days. I'm noticing a trend that they just people don't want hosts. Yeah, it's kind of sad. If we're picking on you know headliners about who their feature is, they don't even want a host. What's yeah. that about? I just what, what's one a today. five to seven minute guy going to do to your hour show? Yep. But apparently, like you said, it is delicate enough for them to not want it. Well, I think it's probably a product of bad experiences. You know, we had host training, and this is partially my fault. Certainly, take responsibility, but. You know, to become a host in the quote unquote old days, you know, <laughs> you had to have a, a whole skill set. And, and, you know, I was very close and am very close with D.L. Hughley, and he was, and even Steve Harvey back in the day. You guys don't understand. I mean, the host duty was like considered the most important in the yeah. room. Uh, yeah. they, they, were, they, they, they were the energy, they were the ones that got your product out, they were the one that set the tone, they got everything working right. And it was a skill set that DL would used to tell people: just learn to be a great host first. Like mm-hmm. no matter, like in that, somewhere along the line, and I don't know why it became not cool, mm-hmm. because I guess you're just talking chicken wings and beers. Mm-hmm. And then it became a showcase for your own comedy that didn't fit with anything else that's going on, and you weren't really good enough to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna imagine over a period of time with those bad experiences, they just went. I'd rather just not have a host, and it's it's not good for the sport. I don't think it's good. No. Well, one I just had one today. Call. Uh, we just had a contract come over, and, and I got to get rid of the host. Well, see, and when we used to have, I mean, the Humor Academy here at the Comedy Zone, they st- I came up through that through the comedy class here, and I. a lot of people knock those, and a lot of people say, ah, you know, you learn by doing it, you know, but. There are certain mistakes that people coming out of that class just didn't make. Mm-hmm. Like once I mm-hmm. finished it, I knew how to host. I wasn't a good one, but I knew the elements and mm-hmm. components of it. It's entertainment. Yeah, I would not have known any of that had yeah. I not. And We're, then I might have already gone out and messed something up. We are in the entertainment business. I mean, we are in the entertainment business. That is our. This is our life dream. This is what we've committed our lives to is the entertainment business. So we need to entertain, and part of that is hosting. And setting the tone and finding out where the birthdays are and pushing next week's show and being able to drop your humor in and not stepping on the person behind you and understanding how to do a good introduction properly and handing off a hot mic and understanding how to put the mic stand back, put it back properly so the person has the best chance of hitting the ground running. All these principles have maybe been a bit... uh, you know, throw them by the wayside. And I take responsibility for a lot of that because I'm not focusing on, you know. Fred in Jacksonville still doing a host at, host class. Hmm. I look at a lot because I still host a lot here, and I'm not afraid to pat myself on the back. I pride myself on being a good host. host. And I see one of the ways to be a good host is to host. Like, I remember hosting for Bobby Collins, and, and I fell into that thing oh, early on. Uh, Bobby Collins, who's been around a long time, is... And uh, I I was doing that thing where you guys ready for your next you ready for the next ready for the next kind of thing, and af- you know after that first time I said Bobby is there anything I can do differently you know to make the show better and, and introducing you he's like no you're doing a great job he's like, you question. know what he said hang on one second he's like one thing he said ladies and gentlemen put your hands together and please welcome to the stage he said you will never go wrong if you say that mm-hmm. never said anything different that's so, the, you say that every time I say it every now, time right? we're in the arts. And I think great art has followed the same pattern forever as the same thing as great, you know, um, arts in sculpture or painting or even music where the generation in front of you passes down lessons to. And I want to make sure that we keep that up. I mean, every time I talk to a comic, they say, this guy told me this and it really changed the way it looked (laughs) And, you know, a lot of people ask me, and I'm like, I'll give you my opinion, but I've never been on stage in my life. Mm. So I would suggest that if they're amenable to it, 
come up to the club on the weekends, which I don't see a lot of locals, oh, and ask them and say, hey, man, I'm working on this bit. You would be surprised how many people will probably stop their night and say, you know what, let's think this through. Or, you know what, I had the same problem back in 2004. Mm. I had the same issue. I got through. Let me tell you, that thing you're doing at the end is hurting you. Even though you get a big laugh. Those are invaluable lessons. Yeah, tremendous. And I can't impart that. I can give you my business experience. Sometimes people maybe ask a little bit too much of me from the creative point. It's just that I love to write, but that doesn't mean I'm a good writer. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you, you know if, we're, if there was a great sculptor who was getting older, mm-hmm. there would be people all around going, how did he make that awesome walrus out of that <laughs> and and he would say this is how i made the tusk and you're like holy crap i never knew that and and so i want to make sure we got that and, and what we're not and i know there's a lot of places to work now in this town but man swing by yeah say please, hi say please. hi say hi there's so many and as you guys know that they're super people i mean they're Com- great and comics this might be a surprise love to talk about comedy yes they do <laughs> That's it. That's pretty much it. Are you serious? <laughs> just want to make sure I'm understanding. This, this, yeah, I don't want to. Because this is a game changer. Shocked everybody with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, comics, get out here. Get to the zone, yeah. man. See shows, see shows. See, see the masters yeah, doing I mean, I mean, of course, I hear all sorts of things about you know my business and me for years, and it is what it is. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. But you know, I always want to just go, like, I've never even seen you up here on a weekend. Like, are you sure that these are the worst comedians in the world that are all sellouts? Because last time I checked, like Bill Burr was just here. And ringing That's what the alternative, yeah, the alternative guy said. You don't understand alt comedy. You don't, yeah, don't get it. I, no, you there, don't. I, there's no such thing as alt comedy. It's just comedy. I mean, that's all it is. It's comedy from a different angle. Different angle is presented here in two or three different ways throughout the week. Sometimes a completely different angle of comedy. So, we can call it all, call it every whatever you want, but it's more than welcome here. Everything's welcome here. We certainly, we. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. I got to make all these decisions. I do the best I can. I mean, I'm uh, Brian and I. Right before you guys walked in, I yeah. said, "Who do you want to see, Bri? Who am I missing?" And he gave me some names. Well, there's your focus group. That, <laughs> well, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm an influencer. <laughs> the point of the matter is, you know, the, you know I've, I've got to do the best I can based on what's happening in our in our industry, based on what I hear from you guys. We, you and you guys, we all talk this stuff constantly. Yeah, that's how I make my decisions. It's not some secret book. It's not, and you know. But so I, I got twelve shows with friends. The musical, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. So, I go back to that date going, like, was that, like, was I doing opioids? Or <laughs> we'll be back. How long do runners need to stretch before hitting the road? This is a 60-second training tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Stretching muscles while the body is at rest can lengthen muscles and help runners improve performance, reduce injuries, and recover from a tough run faster. But how long should a good stretch last? The simple answer is 30 seconds. This allows your cold muscles to relax and be ready for work. Taking the time to stretch properly is critical, especially if you're coming back from an injury. Something to note though, stretching a muscle group for longer than 30 seconds can actually decrease your speed and hurt your performance. In addition to a good pre-run stretch, spend some time after your run and stretch the same muscle groups for 30 seconds as well. This has been your 60-second training tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more training tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. I wanted to make sure we hit a couple quick things before you left. Uh, (laughs) Could you talk for a second about this new venture, this new partnership? I can. Um, Thank you. Um, This has been actually um, maybe 10 years of talking about it. And so East Coast Entertainment, if you're not if you're not familiar, is a 40-year-old company that is founded out of Richmond, Virginia, and Charlotte. They are in the music business. They're one of the strongest players in the music business. Um, the founder 
was a, was much a mentor to me in in a lot of ways, and he kind of nudged nudged me for the last ten years. When you're ready, when you're ready, and I'm like, I'm not ready. I'm young, you know. I've got lots to do. And then I turned fifty, and then I was like, you know what? Let's take a look at this. I I'll be honest with you, fellas. I needed a recharge. I needed uh, to re re um, you know. I needed to find comedy again to be enjoyable, and I needed the challenge of the business end of comedy to spark and energize me again because I was getting a little bit burnt out. It's been 27 years and this is all I've ever done like morning, noon and night. So this merger is allowing me to take the, the current infrastructure of a much larger company and turn that power into doing exactly what I do. And that's putting more stages together for you guys. Mm. And we are only 90 days in, the first 45, we're just getting our footing. In the last three weeks alone, we probably added 10 new rooms. And there's no end in sight. And our goal is literally, and I'm not kidding, hundreds. So, you know, I know we've talked off stage. It's exciting, man. Huge opportunity. But to man. scale a company and to do, and, and this is in our space, okay? I'm not going to build clubs like this all over the country. That's not what I do. But you guys know what I do. Mid-small markets, Friday, Saturdays, special events, and now I finally have, you know, 50 sales reps. I have a marketing team. I have all sorts of support. Then we can put together a scaling plan, which I've had in my head and somewhat on paper for five years. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it myself. You know, scaling a company is a, is a tricky thing once you get to a certain point. Mm -hmm. You either raise a bunch of money, lose all your shares, mm -hmm. have no vote anymore, mm -hmm. or you right. try to do it on cash flow. And I just... I can't hire 10 people overnight on the cash flow we had. So it was the perfect opportunity. Yeah. They're extremely cool people. They get it. They give me a lot of freedom. You know, you just go do your thing. Um, but yes, after 27 years, the Comedy Zone is not owned by me, the logo. Wow. This club is still. Yeah. Wow. Well, do you see, if I may, do you see uh, comedy... Not that, not that necessarily you're making the decision. Do you see comedy leaving comedy clubs and and finding different venues, finding a place in sure. different places? Yeah. I mean, is that was that in part of what you were thinking with this, or is this no. just more? There was numbers? tail wagging the dog because my my original uh, scaling plan was um, very much traditional business scaling, and then now that this has happened, I think it's just been cherry on the cake. You know, I mean, it's it, it, it's. The, the, this younger generation, whether it's transportation and lodging or, or everything, is looking at this in a new way. And it's, you know, I definitely play the part of the grump on that, but I think it's terrific. And so there's opportunity everywhere. More comedy. The biggest thing I would say is we need to weed out the low-paying stuff and, and, and cull out what is a quality room that pays you an actual... Because Hallelujah! Well, <laughs> preach. But that's always been our goal. You know, do you, if you, you don't think that ten years ago I could have had a f two hundred rooms at a hundred dollar, two hundred dollar budget. That would have been right. easy. You could slap up the comedy zone anywhere; they would have taken it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what's the budget? Two hundred bucks. I give you fifty. I give you twenty five. We're done. Well, that's not what the, my business was built on. Our prices, our headliner prices, have not gone down. All right, they haven't gone up either, but they haven't gone down. This. <laughs> If you're an, if, if you know anything about economy, uh, you know in terms of supply and demand, theoretically it should be going down because there's so much low dollar comedy. If you take a fifty dollar gig, why should I pay you three hundred to headline? Like I, nobody can really give me that answer um, because you're saying that you're worth fifty dollars. I'm not. You already said it to yourself in the mirror, and if you're saying it, why would I overpay you? And so I do hold the ground on that, but, you know, there are certain criteria to get to the $300 level or feature level or whatever yeah. in my company that is different from other places. So let me ask you this, and this is the last question from me, Jason. You can uh, finish it up whatever you can close. Oh, is it close or head? Like, you close? I, I'm going to close. Hang okay, because you didn't sell any tickets out. to this podcast. So you're going to close with a question. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, 27 years, right? You said you've been in comedy in some form or fashion, some capacity. You, so you've given so much of your adult life to this. Do you ever think about legacy? And if so, what do you want your legacy to be in comedy? 
Because you gave so much of your life to it. I don't think at all about it. Um, if you're asking me the question, what would it like to be? Just fair business. You know, when you go to somewhere, that check is good. You're going to, the club will be there. It, 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 I know that I hear this a lot from the, from the people who have gone on to big things is whenever I'm in the green room or traveling and seeing these folks at big theaters, they go, let me introduce my manager. And they point at me and they go, this is the dude that kept food on my table for so long and fed my kids and I cannot thank him enough. And that's complete thanks enough for me it just happened man <laughs> and, and, and it was just such a good feeling because you know that's my place in this world okay i'm not an improv with 600 seats and you know totally I, I keep food on the table for a lot of comedians and that's my legacy and that's that's what i'm here for and that's why this merger fits in so well because it's not expecting me to be somebody that i'm not and my job is to give you guys a good, you know, $300 country club on a Friday night or a Friday. <laughs> I'm ready. You know fr- I'm ready. A yeah. Friday Saturday. But <laughs> I bug you all I'm the getting time. in the way. Well, but hang on. I'm ready. I'm sometimes actually, it's if I can more important to know who you are than, yeah. than anything, you know. And that's, who, that's what I am. And I feel comfortable in that space. And I understand that space. And I really appreciate it when I get that. And I get it a lot. And they're like, dude. God, I don't know who it was that was just here, and they just they just said it, and they were like, "This dude kept." Oh, it was um Rita Rudner? Oh, of course, well, yeah, she and it's fantastic. like it was like oh, what she said, just the, like you know, you're the guy that kept food on my table for so many years, you know. Wow. And 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 everybody, all right, everybody has to come through the road, all right. I mean, I know we can say YouTube and all that stuff, but to no, be to be a great part. comedian. Mm-hmm. We've seen what happens when you don't do the road, you know, Michael Richards and things like that. You're not qualified to be on that stage. So you use me as the most important years of your career because that's when you learn how to be a comedian. And so I I like that spot. I do. I'm comfortable in that spot. That's a good spot. All right. I'm not a... I'm not a you know suit and a cigar guy. I'm, I'm I'm Holiday Inn on a Friday night. Let's go. Turn the turn the TVs off. T- turn the TVs off, man. Let's do this. I'm ready. <laughs> do you have anything? Because that's where comedy's be most beautiful, and is in that room right there. Yeah. Because when they when they come here to the big shows, it's still beautiful. But I mean, we're here for a whole other reason. Half the people just can't believe that, that the person they saw in the little box is up on the. Yeah, right. Second show Friday at the Holiday Inn and, and, and wherever, wherever, <laughs> is when you find out if you're a comedian or not. Yeah, and I right. love that. It is also whether you find out uh, whether or not you want to commit suicide. Yeah. Or not, <laughs> you know, on the night. Yeah. yeah. Do, you have, do you have that moment? We'll just kind of end on a, on a something. <clears throat> What's that one moment that you were excited? I know when Bill Burr was here, you know, you and I see each other and we're just like, this yeah, is it, cool. man. This is why we're... So many. You had that moment, any one comic, you were like, holy mm, shit, so, I, got to, so many. I got to hang out with that guy. So many. I mean, so I mean, so many, so many moments. Of my dudes, I gotta be honest with you. I've had the best career like anybody could have ever bestowed on somebody. I'm the luckiest dude in the world. All right, I was able to make a living at this. All right, so so that's you know one thing. But I've shared generations of amazing comedians and got to see them shape a joke or change it from first show to second. Or get the call in the cab in 1996 in Montreal, where a bag phone rang, and it's <laughs> it's it's Whoa. I'm sit I'm sitting wow. in front of Mitch Hedberg and his manager, and he gets the call for his special that launched him, and then we we're and and I got so that's many, the moment I'm I got about. I, I'm not a I'm not a big stories guy because I do believe in looking through the windshield, not the rear re- mirror. It's like but they're so good. But well, they're yeah, I mean, so. You Can we have you back again for stories? Can we do? I mean, this was good. Well, this was at the good. risk of yeah, a lot of the stories we, we, we cannot tell, but um, <laughs> stories in basketball. Yeah, okay. certainly basketball. But <laughs> no, I'm and my, my the, the the moment is this. The moment is from ninety one and nineteen ninety one and a half ninety two to today. That's my moment. It's all amazing. It, it's just been amazing. It's been there's so many stories about. And I, it's and we're making the stories like you, the yeah. two guys sitting in nothing against you, bro. <laughs> something's gonna happen. He hears that a lot. Huh? Something's gonna <laughs> something's gonna happen, and I'm gonna go. Bye, Will. Don't forget me. And then you'll come back and you'll go. This guy kept food on my table, 
And, I, and, and, I, I was an attorney, Hefty. You didn't keep food on my table. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> slow down. But what I will I say is. You kept more food on your table? You put, you gave a couple extra. Food, I, food. I kept dessert on your table. You kept gas in the car. I'll take gas in the car. That's something. I, I, mean, I mean this, I said that metaphorically. In I that, know, I in know. That, in but, that, no, but let me just say this. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No. But let me just say this. Uh, coming into this thing, I was a, a, a comedian. That, I mean, I was an attorney that felt totally unfulfilled. I was supposed to love it, and I didn't. And it was confusing because I was great at it, but I didn't love it. And I didn't know what to do with that. And then I got on that stage after that comedy class. And my father was there. And my wife, now wife, was there. But that was the first time I met her parents. So talk about pressure. I'm auditioning yeah. for her parents at my graduation show. And the reason I came down to North Carolina was because my father and I was supposed to start a law practice together. And then he got elected to city council. He didn't come, whatever. But... That night he saw me. He was there with my uncle, and my uncle looked over at him and said, you can forget that law thing for him. This is what he was supposed to do. God, and it changed everything to have that family support because they saw, number one, I was good at it, but number two, how much I loved it. I loved this. So the fact that you've given me an opportunity. Yeah, your to, room. And you've played right. a major part in me changing my entire life and my entire trajectory. So thank you from me. Let me do mine on here. Thank you for that, man, because it's, it's been a game changer and it, it, it charted the course for the rest of my life. Both of you, I'm honored to be part of your journey. I'm just honored. I do still enjoy this part so much, and I'm your biggest fans, and I've told both of you that before. But I stand here as your biggest fans, and, and you'll go, and you'll fly, and, and I'll have to wave with a tear in my eye. <laughs> but you know what? If you screw it up, you're back here on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's end on that high yeah. note. Uh, have, thank Thanks. you so much thank for doing this, man. Thanks and by the much. way, real quick, guys, uh, your work with this podcast does not go unnoticed and does not go unappreciated. Believe me, I know we joke about it, but you've been a huge part of this business, and I appreciate literally everything you guys have done. Bri, thank you. Important. Thank you Thanks, for giving Jeff. us the opportunity to do it. Big stuff coming. Let's do this again a year from now. Yep. We'll see you all next week. Comedy Zone Podcast is a production of Comedy Zone Worldwide and is recorded in a bunker just off the Comedy Zone showroom at the Abbott Exchange Music Factory in Charlotte, North Carolina. The executive producers of the Comedy Zone Podcast are Brian Heffern and Brian Bumpashevitz. Talent Wrangler is Mike Hall. Original music composed and performed by John McKeever. 